Hey, everybody, and welcome to Shitty Book Reports, where the reports are shitty, but the books are not. I'm Trevor. I'm here with Mark. How are you feeling today, Mark? I feel like, uh, you know, grapefruit in a ball pit or something like that. How are you feeling? Whoa, grapefruit. Okay. Uh, I feel like a compulsive shopper locked in a shopping mall. I just well, feel... you would be. Yeah, where everyone... Well, that would be actually interesting if they locked people into shopping malls. A grapefruit in a ball pit, I feel like, would spell disaster. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I mean, we got to face the reality now that, you know, ball pits are deadly. Ball pits yeah. are like, you no, know, ball pits are definitely scary. off limits. <laughs> yes. It's lame. You know, when we were in high school, like the, the, the running fantasy or whatever was that like, you know, a zombie apocalypse would happen, you know, it's, it's stupid to think back, but that, that was a real thing, you know, late 2000s thing. You jokingly survey every lawn option or gardening yeah. tool and shit like that has its effectiveness as a weapon but you mm-hmm. know fast forward to 2020 and it's uh it's dangerous to use a vending machine <laughs> like, exactly always comes in ways that you never expect yeah so anyways week two week later um we're still under the self-isolation self-isolation some states distancing. are fully some states it's become a semi-rule not to go outside, yeah. including the one I live in, California. Yeah. I'm not so, really you know, supposed to go outside, but I have once or <laughs> twice. So, uh, you know, one way to deal with this, I think a lot of people are coming up with new ways to deal with this, but one way is like to, you know, dive headfirst into a creative project, something like mm-hmm. that. And I'm sure a lot of that's happening right now. So I thought for the intro this week... We could take a look at one of my abandoned short story ideas and sort of workshop it right here. Oh, real okay. time. Very good. With the the hopes that it will maybe give me a boost in picking it up again. Mm-hmm. So you're hoping one. that your isolated reading might turn into isolated writing. Maybe. We can give it a shot. So, you know, I was really, uh, on a side note before we dive into your short story, I was really psyched to share something with the SBR community and, you know, online community in general, that there's a thing going around Facebook that's a fake letter that someone wrote where it's supposedly Scott Fitzgerald wrote like a letter during the Spanish flu, you know, Spanish flu of 1918. Yeah. But I saw people post it on Facebook and I'm like, where's the source link? Where's the source link? You know, cause I don't want to fake news anybody. And it turns out that it is like someone just wrote like a random thing that they like tried to sound like Scott Fitzgerald during the Spanish flu. And he like talks <laughs> about how Hemingway totally would have been like a denier and still going to the bar and stuff like that, which is probably yeah. true. But it's funny because I was like so psyched that like, oh my God, is that true? And then turns out not to be true. So ah. still be vigilant with your source material, people. Yeah, you didn't get got. Didn't get got. That's all right, though. Um, mm. But yeah, so, so I what's what your I short have, story like? What I have here, mm-hmm. it's not, it's just an idea. It's just mm-hmm. the idea. There's no, it's, there's no writing. Okay, awesome. <laughs> so we're gonna, Good place we're gonna to start. And, we're going to try and workshop it here. Uh, so this is called uh, Short Story Idea uh, 923,649. Just okay. put random numbers in there. Of course. All right, here we go. And it's just an idea. Keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. After you die, you have to navigate your own body and soul as a purgatory. Uh, so that includes, you know, lost dreams, mind clutter, all these mm-hmm. memories, uh, all your anxieties and, you know, excitement, 
like it's kind of like looking at your whole encapsulated life as like a physical space. Mm. So, so basically, after you die, you go like into every dream you ever had and every yeah. like yeah okay. Or you know the 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 ones that stick out the most probably you know. Mm-hmm. It's like memories and, and lies you told or secrets you kept from yourself, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the I- idealized self and like the worst of you kind of together living as uh, like specters that you've you know created. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'd be like this kind of dream logic type sort of like survival story, maybe with a lot of confusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no real like tour guide kind of thing. Um. But and as you know, a, when you're in that mind, like, it, okay, so you're purgatory or whatever. And when you're going and living past your anxieties, are you like a sort of like benevolent mindset where it's like you're chill? Like, like let's say you were scared of heights and then you had like a significant dream about being scared of heights. Would you be scared again or would you be like, oh, I understand completely? Uh, I think you'd have to confront it one more time. Okay. But um, so so this this was this just idea that came to me one day or whatever was inspired by the lyrics to a song by former King Crimson guitarist Adrian Ballou, and that song's mm-hmm. called 1967. I'm gonna play a little bit of it now, so just pay attention to the lyrics. Okay. It's a really cool song. The best version of it is a live recording on YouTube. I'll, I'll link it at some point. Last night. I took a walk into the back of my mind Through the trash and the warning signs There was a party full of jokes and cliches I couldn't think of anything to say And so I slipped into the men's room there I saw my hair away it's never chapel somewhere the pretty lights and the empty chairs but I'm gonna bring a broom next time I'll sweep out all the broken strings I find she walks me down so did it, did that lyrics come through at all? <laughs> the lyrics came through, and yeah. what I'm what I'm most intrigued by was one of the first lines. Uh, what is the men's room like inside your mind? The men's yeah. room. He's like, I go to the <laughs> men's room inside my mind. And it's like, hmm, some some Freudian imp- interpretations there. Exactly, and that's what you know gave me this idea that that would be cool to explore. Like, what mm-hmm. what parts of you? resemble like a physical space or what would it be you know he said that he says the heart is like a little chapel somewhere mm-hmm. pretty lights and empty chairs mm-hmm. i mean so my first question here we can we can dive into that after is this a little bit too like magical school bus magic school bus esque, <laughs> where or that that thing that they've done a million times c lab 2020 did it uh, all this other stood up 2021 yeah but 2021, uh, yeah yeah, we're not there quite yet. Um, <laughs> not yet. 
But yeah, that's been done a lot. Whatever. Fantastic Voyage, I think, was another one. Um, into the body. Into the... Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it. I think it all depends. Uh, every, like, everything depends on how it's written. That's, like, one of the great things about, like, books. And I think... I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but there's some Proust quote that's basically, like... He basically says, like, you kind of... And it's totally true. You kind of like have an impression of what a great book or what a great novel or what a certain author is until you actually read them. And then like the best of them kind of flip it around on you. Like I definitely felt that way when I read Madame Bovary where I was like, I'm going to read this. I'm going to know exactly what it's like. Kids read it in school, you know, like whatever. And then it like blew my mind. So I think that there's room in your theme of like, yeah, it could be magic school bus, but it could also be like crazy. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking yeah. it less of like exploring, you know, biology and more like more metaphor for like where you are and what the place is like, you know, maybe it wouldn't be something you would know right away that you're Yeah, there. I mean, if you go along with the theme of like, if you think about, remember how we talked about uh, steal like an artist? Austin Kleon, yeah. where it's like, you know, it, in the theme of this book, I think that it's also good to like aim towards things like, so you're talking about like, you know, fantastic voyage, like into the body or into the mind of emotions. It's like, if you aim towards being like a certain author, it's like, well, how would Pynchon write this versus how would like Brodigan write it, you know, like Brodigan yeah. versus, or like how would you know, so like Arthur C. Clarke, it would be more literal. It would be like, we're going into the human body, like Fantastic Voyage style. Yeah. So I think, you know, you can even aim like that. You can be like, because it's like that thing, Steal Like an Artist is like that thing where it's like, if I just tried, if you try to write like Pynchon, it's not going to be Pynchon. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be whatever you're trying to do, you know. Pynchon would write like a espionage type thing with like the ego and the id like yeah you'd go he'd go into like, the mind and it would be all like into your own paranoia yeah <laughs> and be like what did Internal that mean conflict yeah um, the two hemispheres yeah so That's okay if, favorite if the on. yeah shout out to <laughs> rush um so if the heart is like a chapel uh what's the brain what kind of building is a brain hmm Physical the brain, space, the brain like is like a a pen, like the Pentagon. Like it's like a thing that has like seeming order, but I bet you, like if you look at the Pentagon, right, it like seems like it would be logical, but I bet you when you're in there, it's like a labyrinth that makes no sense. <laughs> have you, you ever physically? worked in a? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever worked yeah. in a building like that? Like I worked in a building in downtown Manhattan where it was like, it was like, oh yeah, to get to the to the 46th floor, you can actually take an elevator from like the 32nd floor, but you can't do that from the 33rd floor. Like there was all these weird like extra corridors and weird oh. extra <laughs> elevators and stuff. And it's like for as long as the Pentagon has been around, I feel like that's like what a brain would be like. Okay. So like the the brain is the labyrinthine sort of yeah. central intelligence agency i guess <laughs> yeah i don't really i don't i don't think that there's as much logic to to the brain as people would assume so it's like a more escher like, structure yeah more like it's more like firing neurons and and random pathways than it is like oh this is where exactly you know 
where you no, there's no map. Yeah. I think the brain, yeah, could also be like the the endless stairs in uh, Super Mario sixty four, right? Where you just can't <laughs> you keep running up and there's there's no end. Exactly. That's something. Uh, That's kind of like uh, how he said when he took the stairs from his heart to his mind. It's like endless. Yeah, I didn't know. Took it. What does it say? I got it right here. Took the stairs from my head to my heart. I didn't know they were so far apart. Mm -hmm. That disconnection there with uh, the way your brain thinks and going with your heart. What about the lungs? What are the lungs? Like uh, some sort of like green energy (laughs) (laughs) Um, device, you know, like wind turbines or uh, I don't know. What do you think? What if this person was a smoker? Well, and that's you know, something completely. It could be like a coal, coal yeah, fired power a coal, plant. Coal fired power plant, yeah, something really <laughs> nasty. Or a wind farm, yeah. yeah. So depends on how you lived your life, right? Uh, how about the bowels? <laughs> the sewer, <laughs> like the sewer systems. Yeah, definitely. Something well, there's like only one answer for that. Yeah, the sewer yeah. system. See, that's a, that's a trouble. Like of this idea, I think you kind of get maybe it's a little too like on the nose yeah, with I wouldn't get mired you'd have in to kind phys- of get like yeah I wouldn't go into like the physicality as much yeah. as you know there's actually a movie and there's this I don't I have no idea what this movie is called I it's like one of those things where it's like you watched it and almost you you feel like it was a dream that you like dreamed it up but there is an actual movie about um stars Robin Williams and it's like he plays this person in the future who makes the highlight reel of your life after these like futuristic implants where your brain records everything that you see. Wait, what is it's that? It's really weird. It's like, it's you know, this movie. It I don't, I have no idea what it's called. It's like literally one of those movies, like I said, where it's like, I feel like I dreamed of it. Cause I have no idea like what it's called, but he's basically it, like a video editor. I mean, you can probably type it into Google. Is that what dreams like, may come or is that another movie? Maybe. I don't know, but it's like, is that the one he where he play- like goes to hell. No, he like plays this futuristic video editor where it's like your life is recorded in your brain throughout time. And you're and at your funeral. Your family wants to see like a highlight reel of the happy stuff, but he has to edit through like the horrible stuff. Oh, (laughs) so and he like starts to like get, you know, obviously, if you did that, you'd start to like lose your mind. Um, So, yeah, it reminds me of that a little bit. Like if you if you steered your story away from it being like physical and more sort of like states of emotion. It's called The Final Cut from 2004. Yes. I've never heard of this. Yes, that's the movie. And it's fucked up. It's crazy movie. It's really good. Um, I wouldn't say good. I don't know if I can put my stamp of. Yeah, the scores, the scores aren't very high. Yeah, it's not it's not like amazing, but it's like it's definitely one of those movies where you're like, did I even see that or did I like dream that Robin Williams is like <laughs> this weird video editor? Um I've never My question okay. my question that I would pose to you about the concept of your short story is that do you think it's a necessity that it has to be like sort of like an afterlife thing or could it be like a more like I don't know, like a drug trip thing or like a it could be a dream it could be a dream a coma thing. it could be yeah. anything yeah yeah something about the afterlife stuff always kind of 
nudges me in the I don't like movies where it's like it happened in purgatory it's all in a white space you know like I don't really eh. there's like a lot of student films that are like that (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah I don't want it to be like the end of Lost or something yeah you want it to be like more subtle more I think this is a type of story that you would want to create more questions than give answers which is sort of okay. like the end of Lost. Yeah, give that kind of inescapable, inescapable feeling, I guess. Or yeah. that. Although I don't know, know why, I don't know why people debate about the ending of Lost. It's clear that they are dead. They like literally yeah. say that, and then there's other people online who are like, "No, it's not clear," and it's like, "Yes, it is." I mean, there are other timelines, but those ones didn't exist, right? It's just doesn't Lost end in a church in the heart? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> the guy from King exactly. Crimson was in on it. There you go. He's awesome, yeah. by the way, Adrian Ballou. Um, the he was in the '80s King Crimson, so like Discipline, and Three of a Perfect Pair. Those are great albums. Mm. So speaking Very of uh, speaking of working from, because we talked a little bit last time about how you're going to have to get used to working from home. What have you have you found? What are your hours of productivity? Uh, I'm not exactly there yet. Probably going to be there this week, um, mm. but we'll, we'll we'll see. I'm feeling like I'm going to be around the clock, like just because got a smaller apartment and my like workstation takes up so much space. It's like mm-hmm. you can't really get away from it. Well, I guess my the the first question was leading to the other one of what would be your prime writing hours if you dive into your short story again. Um. Which, by the way, now that you're putting it out to our listeners, it's like you pretty much oh, have, to I have to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a good way to get motivation, be, saving face. Yeah, it would be after work, probably in the in between um, of a uh, large dose of caffeine before I'm going to maybe <laughs> exercise or something. <laughs> Sounds like this is going to cut into your reading time. <laughs> it might. It might. Writing well, time got, often cuts into reading time. We got plenty of time. Exactly. Got a lot of a lot of hints though, uh, from like, you know, reading different books like that, you know, Steal Like an Artist or like uh the one that I always think about is uh, on writing, Stephen King. Mm. He talks about, you know, put yourself in a corner. <laughs> like he wants yep. you to not have a view of anything mm-hmm. and like just make sure that you're giving us like maybe a set amount of time every day or you know keeping up with some sort of schedule. Totally. But also I like that image of like, don't even give yourself like a window to look out of. <laughs> yes. The <laughs> only go. window is inward. Yeah. Secret window. Mm, nice. That not so good movie. <laughs> is that a book too? Uh, I don't know what, I think it's a short story. I don't know what it exactly comes from, hmm. what, what King that it comes from, but it's, it was a weird movie with Johnny Depp. Hmm. The ending yes. shot is is the strangest thing, and just made me laugh so much when I was, I don't know, watching it at like oh yeah, I think or I something. did see that. I think I saw that in the theater, and it was like too, tri- like, I think it was like too intellectual for me at the time that yeah. I saw it. I'm, yeah, because that was like that was like when Johnny Depp was like he. It was like Pirates of the Caribbean was like, oh, this guy's going to be like a huge star, and and it was like. Now he's going to be in these like serious movies, and then it kind of all went downhill. Johnny Depp. 
the but the last the last frame of that movie the last like second is him like a close like a close up of him chomping down on like a corn on the cob for whatever oh, reason that's how it ends he's like yeah. <sighs> and then it's over <laughs> like, nice yeah my, my I, sister I, and i, I laughed like at I that would, so much i would watch that movie again all right so the final cut and whatever window with johnny that that's the watch list <laughs> secret secret window yeah <laughs> the secret window that this is the watch list from this book about podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast about books. Wow. I've been inside for too long. Yeah. Um, all right. So this oh, is we're episode. Just, we're just getting started. Yeah. Just getting started. <laughs> I know. It's, it's a little. I know. Continue. Um, so this is episode 50 of Shitty Book Reports, which means I'm going first, right? Yeah. 50 Okay. Episodes. I will take over the reins, but I will say that I, I stick to my original, um, you know, testament that now that you've put it out there, you have to you have to write again. Yeah, you just have to. Can't be a reader forever. Uh, that's actually not true. You could read forever. Um, <laughs> all right. So the the author and the book that I'm doing this week is actually sort of surprising to me because it's an author that I've covered on the podcast twice before. So this will be the third time. And I never really expected that this particular author would be the third time that I'm bringing him to the podcast because there's other authors that I hold in higher regard. But have you been finding with the podcast that the the higher, the more you respect the author, the the more you are sort of like scared to do a shitty book report about them? Yeah, and cautious. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I don't, you know, I don't want to do like a Dostoevsky episode unless I can like really, you know, dedicate the time to it, um, which isn't to say I didn't dedicate time to and do some research on this one today, but it's, it's just surprising. There's like, there's an author kind of meter and this guy kind of fits into the one where it's like, oh, it's perfect to do him again. I've studied his work many times but i'm fine with also doing a shitty book report just you know for the hell of it so i'm bringing back to the table kazuo ishiguro do you remember uh what i have spoken of him before uh yeah i forget i covered the name of the second one you covered yeah, I recover. I covered an artist of the floating the re- world. Remains of the day and remains of the day. Yeah, which is yeah. Uh, remains of the day is probably what he's maybe what he's most famous for. And today I'm talking about his 2005 novel. So relatively, I mean, 15 years ago, but newer than the other ones. Uh, Never let me go. Have you ever heard of this book? Yeah, that's the one I kind of in my mind think of. Like that's the number two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his. he's very famous for Never Letting yeah. Go. So um, let me just, because I actually am now curious about the sequence of when Never Let Me Go comes up, because he actually doesn't write, like he's not super prolific in the sense that he is writing, like coming out with novels every second. So Remains of the Day, 1989. Then he writes two other books, The Unconsoled and When We Were Orphans, and then never let me go in 2005. And then he doesn't write another book again until the buried giant in 2015, which I also want to read. Um, but never let me go is basically a very, okay. So what I would say from, from the other books that I have presented on the podcast, an artist of the floating world and remains of the day, I think Ishiguro's like main talent as an author 
is to be sort of like a chameleon of the mind, especially with his main characters. So like he can assume the mind of his characters like, okay, I'm going to write about this Japanese artist who was like a propaganda poster artist in World War II. And then he's like, and then he switches gears completely and he's like sort of the same story, but from a conservative English butler. So like now I'm going to assume the mind of that person, probably someone who's not very much like him. And then with Never Let Me Go, I think the question is, what if Kashigur, uh, uh, um, Ishiguru assume the mind of someone in the near future or of an alternate timeline future? So this is like kind of a first. I don't know if those other books had any other sci-fi elements. Certainly, An Artist of the Floating World and Remains of the Day are firmly within the real world. But um, Never Let Me Go is like an alternate timeline of late 90s United Kingdom um, where he kind of dips his toe into like, here I am in the sci-fi and fantasy world. So did you know that about this book at all? No, okay. <laughs> no idea. Yeah, so it's like that same, that thing that I was saying before, you like don't know what it is until you read it. So never let me go. First of all, I'm putting a giant disclaimer on this in the podcast right now. If you don't want spoilers, the only way to talk about this book in any way is to have it like kind of spoiled for you. I mean, I always think the journey is better than the, you know, the end. Um, certainly learn that from many books. But if you're someone who who doesn't want to have a book spoiled. Like there's literally no way to talk unless I was only talking about the first five pages, there would be no way to talk about this book without giving spoilers. <laughs> so uh, I'm spoiling it. Um, I thought I was trying to think of ways of like, oh, how can I talk about it without talking about it? And it's just impossible. So the story of Never Let Me Go, like I said, is sort of like a sci-fi near future, dystopian future novel, but in the way that like an Arthur C. Clarke or like other sci-fi novelists would have like explanations or something, Ishiguro, there's no handholding and no explanations. Like you're just dropped into a world with the main narrator whose name is Kathy H. And it's just like, she's going to this like boarding school and you're like, oh, okay. Like there's this boarding school called, uh, Hailsham and there's like teachers but for some reason like there's always something like a little bit off like you don't know exactly what's happening because the teachers are called guardians and the st and there's like other people who are sort of like nurses at the school called carers and it's sort of like okay I don't really know what I'm reading but especially with this book coming on the scene as like no one knowing anything about it, I could definitely see it blowing people's minds. It was like shortlisted for man Booker prize and everything. People were like, what the hell is going on? Because he just drops you into this world where it's like, okay, there's these kids at a boarding school and they like kind of act like a little bit weird. And there's like a few kind of pivotal scenes in Kathy's memories of the boarding. By the way, she's narrating like backwards in time. So she's kind of like thinking about her old school days and stuff. And you're okay. getting glim glimpses of her current future as well, uh, of her current predicament as well. Um, but like strange things happen. Like one of the pivotal scenes is like uh, she is in her room one day and, you know, uh, little kids sometimes like play house like. And she has this like bundle of like clothes when she's a little girl that she's pretending is a baby. And then one of the teachers like sees her pretending to have a baby and just like loses it completely, like starts crying and like freaking out and like has to excuse herself. And you're like, what the hell did that mean? You know, it's like sort of like puts you on edge, like mm -hmm. what is really going on here? 
And you kind of are in that like suspended reality where you don't really know like what the deal is with this private school, this like boarding school for a good chunk of the book until things start to, there's also like a human drama in here. The main, there is a main character, Kathy, who's the narrator, but there's also two other main characters named Ruth and Tommy. And there's sort of like a love triangle that starts out from school days you know like oh like he liked her i liked him you know whatever but he ends up like tommy ends up going with ruth instead of the main character and like she's totally cool with that but not really because you know how you were in eighth grade or whatever (laughs) so there's like that going on so there's like sort of a love triangle that you're reading about but as you and here's where like the real spoilers are going to come in people in case you want to skip ahead to mark's shitty book report but as you kind of figure things out it's like they eventually they like get out of the school and they start and they like kind of graduate a little bit and then you eventually like they have this one class like towards the end of their education where one of their teachers gets kicked out of the school because she kind of like drops a bomb on them and she's like the reason why we want you to be so healthy and everything is because um you know, you want to be able to make your donations successfully. And they're like, and you're like, what are you talking about? Like donations? Like, what are you talking about? And then eventually you kind of like, it's all these half truths that kind of get delivered to you kind of in the way that you would, they would get delivered to you if you were in that environment. And then eventually the whole world breaks apart. Like when they're graduated out of school and they kind of like realize their purpose in life, um, they live in this like, these things called the cottages which are outside of the school and as they start going into town they learn of someone in the town who it might be one of the main characters ruth there's something that they call a possible which means that there's a woman in the town that looks like her and they're like oh that might be your possible that might be your possible and again you're sort of like what the fuck like this book is so weird like you don't know what's going on and then this is when the world breaks wide open and it's like oh a possible is that um, there's somebody out there in the world that Ruth is cloned from. And the Shit. reason why they make so-called donations is because they're raised for their organs. <laughs> so it's like, it's very like weird because the way that he writes it and the way that the novel is set is like, it actually says the first page of the book says the late nineties in England so you're like, okay, it's like the late 1990s, but then as you slowly like go forward, all the technology of the late 90s is the same, but it's like an alternate history where cloning is like a simple fact of life. And there's a whole class of people that are basically raised that they are going to make their two or three major organ donations to the people who they were originally cloned from and then eventually die. Like that's their purpose. They're just harvested, yeah. Yeah, but they're harvested in a way that's like sort of like, it's not like, uh, you know, like one of the, like a crazy like horror movie or anything like that. Yeah, they're, it's they're like, trying to teach them stuff. Yeah, first. it's like they they go to school and it's like health is very important and like blah, blah, blah. But like their health is really only important because they are eventually like harvested. Um, and it's just a really like genre bending novel. That's like, like I said before, like if Ishiguro can assume the mind of a conservative English Butler, then like he brings the same powers to bear with very little, like loss in translation for something that's like a big, like what if, and a really cool, what if, um, 
so yeah, like Never Let Me Go, like had a huge impact on people. I actually want to read directly from Wikipedia the reception. I'm going to skip around, um, but you know how they have like on Wikipedia, there's like a subsection called the reception, like of the novel, yeah, how, like, how, it was, it, uh, how, it, how it was received. And what I think is really cool about it is that there are debates like among critics about like what the novel really is. But to me, that's just like one of the more powerful indications of like, okay, it must be really good. Cause it's like the very first thing it says is critics disagree over the genre of the novel writing for the New Yorker, a guy named Louis Men- Menand. He said it was quasi science fiction. Even after the secrets have been revealed, there are still a lot of holes in the story because it's genetic science because genetic science isn't what the book is actually about. The New York Times wrote that it was a pop genre, a sci-fi thriller, and it quietly upends the genre's banal conventions. Ramsey Campbell said it was one of the best horror novels of since since uh, the year 2000, a classic instance of a story that's horrifying, precisely because the narrator doesn't think it's horrifying. Uh, someone, Joseph O'Neill of The Atlantic, said it's a coming-of-age story, and that he is imagining the children's misshapen world as a profoundly thoughtful and their hesitant progression into knowledge of their play is an extreme and heartbreaking version of the exodus of all children from innocence. And then, you know, someone in the Telegraph, which is a UK paper, said, gradually it dawns on the reader that Never Let Me Go is a parable about morality, the horribly indoctrinated voices of the Hailsham students who tell each other pathetic little stories to ward off the grisly truth about our future is in effect what we've been told that we're all going to die, but we've never really fully understood it. So it's like, basically he writes this like genre bending sci-fi novel and then lets all of society kind of just bicker back and forth about what it really means. Yeah. That's Um, interesting. Like how many different opinions there were. So I got to ask what, what would you label it as? Um, first and foremost, I would, I guess what I would label it as would be that's that's a really good question. I mean, you know when I you know when I went out into the Twitterverse and I had asked people for like a, a like a a fantasy novel that's as classy as Token, and then and then the literary world gave me back um, Sword and Citadel, which uh the Gene Wolfe stuff? Yeah, the Gene Wolfe yeah, stuff. Nice. I would say, like, this would be... If you said, like, can someone give me a dystopian novel that's not, like, dumb and about zombies? And, like, you know, it, can someone give me a dystopian novel that, like, really makes me think? Then the answer would be never let me go. So it's like, oh, like, what would be the answer to, like, I want to read... Because I don't, like... I'm kind of in the contrarian camp of most people where it's like, I don't want to read another thing about dystopia. Like, I don't, like, oh, the world has ended, you know, like, that kind of thing. Or, like, zombie apocalypse, like we were just talking about. But Never Let Me Go is sort of a more... Maybe, like, has, like, more mature handle on, like, okay, this is, like, a fucked-up sci-fi story, but it's really also, like... I mean, there. I just told you that there's like a middle school love triangle that like develops throughout the story. So that's like you're also dealing with that at the same time that you're dealing with like and it also becomes really interesting. Again, major spoilers here, but like Kathy, the main character goes on to there's like kind of a way to opt out of being 
um, a donate a donor, which is that you can become one of the carers, like one of the people that they grow up like with the school, kind of like their teachers. And then basically Kathy's lot in life is that she takes care of Ruth and Tommy, the other sides of the love triangle, as they go through their donations, basically slowly killing themselves. So it's like, oh, Ruth's first donation didn't go so great. So I'm going to go like take care of her over at her house. And it's like, this is fucked. Like, this is like totally fucked up. Um, But like, again, it's like that horror angle of like, they don't think it's fucked up. They think it's like the reality of the world. Yeah, that's all they have. Yeah, that's all they have. So it's not it's not like a Hunger Games type story where it's like, oh, we're going to overthrow everything. It's like that's not even a discussion in the book. It's not like, oh, these people are doing this to us and what are we going to do? It's like living within that and what would it mean Um, with no hope of rebellion or not even the thought of rebellion. They don't even think that. They don't say, like, this has to end or anything like that. They're just like, (laughs) yeah, whatever. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I like I said, I think that Ishiguro's talent is to assume the mind of his characters, but it's pretty impressive that he can step into something like never let me go. And that like, it doesn't get lost in translation that like, Oh, he won't be able to assume something like really weird or like whatever. He's like a total chameleon. So, and I actually do know like the idea that I'm kind of talking about never let me go again. It does make me want to read the buried giant for his novel from 2015. Cause I'm pretty sure that that's pure fantasy. Like it was awarded like all of these like, fantasy novel things like hugo or something yeah well not a locus award locus award world fantasy award myo mythopoic award for adult literature so yeah i don't know um i think he steps even further into the fantasy genre with that one but i don't want to spoil it for myself uh, just like i spoiled it for everyone else yeah (laughs) so you've now read three of his novels in a little over a year so that's a pretty good oh yeah co-signing of oh yeah he i definitely feel about him you know yeah but it's like the funny thing is like what i said at the beginning like i would never think that ishiguro would be the person that i brought to the if you asked me i would be like oh i'm totally going to cover all of mishima's work you know like whatever like multiple times because there was like basically a solid year in my life where like all i read was mishima (laughs) um but it's that whole like respect versus you know epicness thing where it's like i like ishiguro um, but I also am confident enough to just do a shitty book report about him versus like Mishima where I don't want to, you know, go at his work unless I'm really giving it my all, but yeah. he's amazing. Yeah. I've read, I've actually also read a pale view of Hills. So I've read a pale view of Hills an artist of the floating world remains of the day and never let me go. So that's four out of his one, two, three, four, seven novels. So I'm almost there. Maybe I should yeah. just do it as a completionist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Ishiro is awesome. Never let me go. is really good. Uh, I'll go into my one star review because it's a little lengthy, not lengthy, but I do want to read some quotes from it because I think it's, this is one of those classic ones where it's like, I think we found over time that a one star review basically just proves your point, you know? Yeah. Like every That's time why they're, someone they're good for each one, yeah. Yeah, every time someone hates a book, it's like, yeah, you're hating it for the reason why it should be loved. But anyway, here's one from 
Madeline on Goodreads gave Never Let Me Go a one-star review. She says, You know those random stock characters in sci-fi and action movies, the ones who never get names or any lines? They're always spending their precious few minutes of screen time getting shoved out of the way as the hero hurls desperately down a hallway, or watching from a safe distance as a climactic fight scene goes on, or diving out of the way whenever a murderous cyborg smashes through their office window. Have you ever wondered what those people's lives were like? I mean, and then... She wrote like three paragraphs of spoilers, but then at the end she says, <laughs> she says, I mean, good God, even though this is supposed to be some sort of some more sort of more intellectual science fiction, I don't care. There's cloning and dystopian undertones. Ergo, it's sci-fi. But I like my sci-fi loud, shiny and dramatic with lots of explosions and computers that talk. There's a reason <laughs> Harry Potter, she says, there's a reason Harry Potter starts when he gets his Hogwarts letter, folks, because no one wants to hear about ordinary people being ordinary. And I disagree, Madeline. Ishiguru smashed your expectations of sci-fi and brought us something really crazy good called Never Let Me Go. And by the way, there's apparently people love the movie. It came out in 2010. It has a bunch of stars like Kira Knightley and Andrew Garfield. And uh, it's supposed to be like pretty good. Um, but I'm pretty sure I watched the trailer and I'm pretty sure it's just like 100% faithful to the book. So... I would check it out, but yeah, Never Let Me Go by Ishiguru. Definitely recommended. Nice. Yeah, it seems like you were talking about that for the, you know, you're saying, well, they're not even trying to escape and form a plan and, you know. Right, yeah, well, that's like the thing. Like, that's, I think that there's also some, you know how, like, a lot of the, the times. Rag, ragtag team of. Yeah, clones. well, I think a lot of the time there's, like, a lot of power in restraint, you know? Like, um,. You know, it, it would have been easy enough for Ishiguro to, like, sit down with his plot line of this book and then be like, and then they're going to overthrow the school and try to escape and, like, blah, blah, blah. But he's like, or maybe I could, you know, just write something that's a little bit more, like, down to earth. Yeah, it doesn't have to become something epic. Yeah. Yeah. Although it should have. No. To be clear. <laughs> <laughs> no, all stories have to have to have... Explosions and explosions, and talking computers. Yeah, and heroes. Yeah, obviously. So yeah, that sounds good. I mean, I have to. I got to read one of his books before you finish all seven. That's I know. Yeah, I mean, come on. But yeah, I mean, it's it's impressive how he he went to the sci-fi thing and was like, I'm still me, but it's like really crazy. Also, female protagonists, which it felt you know not. Um, to me, it didn't feel like petty or unrealistic or anything. It's, you know, just another person in this crazy ass story about organ donation. Cool. So I actually have a repeat author as well. Nice. So I'm returning to an author I covered uh, very early on, talking single digit episodes here. Nice. So we're on to 50, and so this is. Uh, a while ago, a year ago. Um, so back then we had talked, we talked a lot about one of the few places that we're allowed to travel to now. Um, you know, you take a trip to your kitchen mm -hmm. from your living room now. And that's uh, <laughs> about as far uh, as you can go. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the debut novel Kitchen by Japanese right. author Banana Yoshimoto aka right. Mahoko Yoshimoto. So we're having a, uh, a Japanese episode today. Nice. 
So this week I picked up her 1994 short story collection, Lizard. Um, So I actually, I bought Kitchen and Lizard at the same time. I was like, you know, I got to read the first one first. So I wanted to... Does she still go under the, um, is her author name Banana Hashimoto yeah. on Lizard as well? Yeah. Yeah. Yo, yo, uh, Banana Yoshimoto. Yoshimoto. Uh, and so this is from ni- 1994 and it's interesting. Like you get to the end of the book, there's an afterword by, um, mm-hmm. by the author. And so she dedicates it to the memory of the late Kurt Cobain. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And also mentions like that at the time of writing, like at the time of writing the afterward, she's she's like actually on her way to like a Sonic Youth concert. So <laughs> very much like a, ni- a 1994 time capsule. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, another thing about the specific copy that I have here is that it used to belong to a library. You know, it still has the checkout card in it. Um, and it's blank. It's a blank checkout card, which is sad to wow. see. But I'd like to think that it's a fresh one that was put in after the first one was used up fully filled out, you know, from 1994 onwards. Um, So Lizard, this was a good change of pace for me. It was a nice uh, nice read for isolation. And it was good because Yoshimoto, like she specifically knows how to take a pretty simple setting, some simple um, kind of relationship between characters and then throw some weight to it very quickly. There's a lot of, you know, especially in short stories, like there's a lot of things, things are going normally, you know, you've read just enough detail to be prepared for some sort of something to change or some action. And mm-hmm. suddenly someone will say something like, you know, I have a confession to make, <laughs> like something like that, like, <laughs> yeah. boom. And then, you know, things get, uh, get wild or, you know, get, there's, there's a lot more weight to it, uh, right away, instantly. Um, so there's, you know, a lot of big things discussed or revealed, but ultimately, you know, Banana Yoshimoto's writing, in my experience, like reading two of her works now, uh, she just kind of has a soothing quality to reading right. her stories. And that comes across even though a lot of them are centered around pain and, you know, uh, horrible experiences and, and stuff like that. Um and, you know, I've, I've seen someone describe this particular short story work as a palate cleanser. Mm. So I'm about to see if that's true with what I, you know, try and read next. But wow. instead of describing, yeah, what do you think about that? Have you I think read it's interesting. Like a palate yeah, I remember, I remember you talking about Kitchen, and I think the way that you introduced it was like, you even said, like, it's like the warmest and most comforting, like, part I think I think you maybe even touched on that kind of like subconsciously you were saying like how the kitchen is like kind of the most sociable and like warmest most welcoming part of the home and maybe that's like how you know she writes. Yeah, yeah, but it's like I re- I remember that too. I read from that to introduce the story and I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. the, it was this section about how the kitchen has all these memories and it is a warm place. And all that thing. And then she goes, and then at the end of that part, she goes, yeah, I think because of that, I would prefer to die in a kitchen. <laughs> like, you know, she, she can do that, but it's still, it's still like this soothing thing about. She sounds almost like a, like a novelization version. Have you ever seen the Virgin Suicides? The Sofia yeah. Coppola like movie. So it's like, it's like nice and peaceful. And then you're like, what the hell? <laughs> well, that was a book first too. That's based really? on a book. 
Yeah. yeah. Okay. Jeffrey uh, Eugenit. Um, mm. So instead of there's six stories here, and instead of you know I'm not going to describe every one. I thought I'd just kind of pick one and just go in, a little bit into it. I'm going to have a short kind of uh, book report this week, but it's a short story, so it's part of it. Um, they're short stories. So I would like to talk about, I guess, the third story, which is called Helix. And it revolves around, like, selective memory erasure. Sort of similar to, like, an, a predated version of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless yeah, Mind. That movie. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's about, this short story is just about a couple kind of discussing the risks of attending a seminar like that, like something in, in which this erasing would take place. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of talking about how it was described to them, how how it just like was said that they could erase all their non-essential memories. And then it's kind of like a long conversation about what that means as far mm-hmm. as what's an essential memory, what would become essential in the future, like the value of sentiment and all that stuff. Um, so it's a pretty interesting idea. And yeah, it came before that, that movie. Um, <laughs> and I mean, that's a common thing, mem- like erasing your memory, amnesia, that yeah. sort of thing is, it's a theme. It's an established theme, but, um, I want to read just the intro couple paragraphs to this one and which doesn't really touch on the real subject. I just kind of liked it. Helix. I make my living as a writer but I had a terrible hangover that day and hadn't done a bit of work the whole afternoon. I was supposed to be working on a rush job, finishing up the captions for a volume of photographs by an artist I knew. My throbbing head, though, left me totally uninterested in her pictures of crashing ocean waves. I'm fond of collaborating with artists whose work I like, but sometimes I get the strangest feeling, almost as if we're peeking inside each other's brains, saying, hey, do you remember that promise we made? But that day I hadn't promised anyone anything. Or at least I was acting as though I hadn't. I just lay there in bed, staring at the clear blue autumn sky. It looked so impossibly clear that I somehow felt betrayed. From next door I could hear a little girl practicing the violin, and the screeching brought tears to my eyes. The tones, as she clumsily drew her bow across the strings, spread through the blue sky, filling my mind. The more wrong notes she hit, the worse she sounded. The more the sound perfectly matched the shade of brilliant blue, which I could see even with my eyes shut. As I listened, the image of the blue sky faded into another image, that of the eyelashes of a woman friend of mine. When she was at a loss for words, she would always stammer, uh, you know, while at the same time closing her eyes. I could then see the fringe of her jet black eyelashes below the white half moons of her eyelids and recognize a mix of anxiety and calm in her ever so slightly wrinkled brow. I had the unusual sensation of having grasped her entire personality in that single expression. I wonder if uh, I wonder if Banana would be a good because she seems like you know how you said like uh, you know this wonderful like calming description of a kitchen and then wanting to die like in that kitchen yeah. and that was even consistent in her writing just now where it's like there's this beautiful blue sky and like all these things ruining it yeah <laughs> you know, like but I'm o- I'm okay with it yeah yeah. I wonder if she would be a good candidate for first in, last out, where it's like always consistent. 
I mean, let's see. I, well, you can't really do that with the short story, but let's let's you can go do the first and the last of the short story. Let's yeah, let's go to Lizard. I'll do the the title story, which was a good one too. Okay, Lizard. I shall refer to her as Lizard here, but not because of the small lizard tattoo that I discovered on her inner thigh. Okay. I watched her for a while and cried for several minutes, mourning our childhoods. Kind that of looks fits. pretty good. Kind it does fits. fit with what I know about the story. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Uh, let's do one more, just because that's kind of cool. Let's do the first story, which is called Newlywed. Once, just once, I met the most incredible person on the train. Okay. Incredible, man. Farewell. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible uh, showed up. Kind yeah. of works. Kind of works. But, I mean, she just seems to have that consistency. That, like, you know, throughout, kind of just, like, happy and ruined. Yeah. All right. I want to do one more just because that's good. This is uh, Dreaming of Kimchi. In just about every woman's magazine you pick up, you'll find an article about extramarital affairs. That night, I believed with the same purity and innocence. Interesting. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that would, that started, that was more like negative than positive, but still, yeah. that she's got a sort of like yin and yang thing going on, always. But yeah, this was, uh, I, I, think it, I think it is going to prove to be a good palate cleanser, because yeah. her stories just flow, you know, you can read this, it's like a hundred and... 60 pages or something but it's, it's like uh i always like that there's there that there's the metallica lyric uh, energy derives from the plus and negative yeah i kind of i i think that that applies to to her vibe um my palate That's cleanser not... is i i always try to palate cleanse with something where i can like sort of like turn down my brain you know like i was palate cleansing with the name of the wind fa like pure fantasy um or King. King is like the biggest palate cleanser <laughs> that I can think of. But honestly, dude, upon reflection, I mean, I know I was like recommending Name of the Wind and I still would recommend it to fans of the fantasy genre because it's a little bit different. But I think that's starting to wear off. Like I was kind of thinking about that book more and I was like, I don't know if it really cleansed my palate as much as I felt. I felt older when I was reading that book because it was the first time that I saw the validity of like the fantasy criticism of like this guy's just making up shit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I had to get back into that Gene Wolfe uh, thick fantasy. Nice, nice. But yeah, so okay. you think she is a palate cleanser? Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think that will prove to be true when I, I start reading something else probably today. Nice. Uh, so I do have a, a scathing one-star review here from user Chuckles the Scott. Is this of just the short story or the whole book? Uh, the whole book. Here it is. Huh? What the hell was that all about? <laughs> that was my reaction on plow... Wait, check this. That was my reaction on plowing manfully through these totally incomprehensible <laughs> and pointless short stories. I have no clue what the author was trying to achieve or give the reader other than a headache as you try to work it all out. A complete, utter waste of time and energy. Manfully. Man <laughs> exactly. Manfully reading. Yeah. <laughs> he had an angry face on and flipping through the pages like nice. with force. Yeah. Listening to, you know, bald eagles diving and <laughs> trucks smashing. 
uh, I, I, I'm, something like this, it makes me want to go and like click on the username and see what they like, you know, what <laughs> right. all about, but whatever. Um, he did not have his palate cleansed. Damn. Yeah. Anyways, that's, uh, so that's Lizard by Banana Yoshimoto. Taika time travel back to 1994. Simpler times. Nice. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. This has been another episode of Shitty Brook Reports. You can find us every Sunday or every week on, on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Instagram, and Twitter, sprthepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you know, send us comments, suggestions, you know, corrections, whatever you're feeling. Send us your short stories or reading lists, you know. We're looking for more stuff. Absolutely.